Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Baltimore Orioles, one of the best farm systems in baseball. We're going to talk about what has made Gunnar Henderson such a premium prospect, the rise of Joey Ortiz as a hitter, not just as a defender, and some lower-level sleepers to keep an eye on in this system that is getting deeper and deeper every year. To do that, I'm joined by my friend and uh, former colleague, John Mioli. John uh, has been... Writing for us at Baseball America for a number of years now. He was formerly the Orioles beat writer at the Baltimore Sun. Uh, he has since left that position, but has stayed on with us at BA, doing lots of good work on the Orioles farm system. John, good to see you. Good to have you, my friend. Good to be here. You know, I was thinking back. I think I mentioned this every podcast, but I think we met. Um, I was covering the Angels. You were covering the Orioles in Anaheim back in 2016, and Manny Machado was an Oriole. They were on their way to the postseason, and Shohei Otani was still a superstar in Japan, not yet coming over to uh, the American League, Major League Baseball, I should say. A, a lot has changed since we first uh, met in that press box in Anaheim. Yeah, and I, and I think I mentioned this last time we talked about it, that that was the cow milking event. <laughs> um, yes, that's the, right. It was. <laughs> that, that was the cow milking day, and, and Dylan Bundy won, um, and probably the statute of limitations is, is is over, and I could say that, you know, the Orioles cheated to make sure that he won. Um, they had somebody who had, who had seen that before and know that the cows usually kick it over, so they had some, they had some milk on hand to make sure that, you know, even if the bucket got kicked over, Dylan Bundy would still be victorious, so... Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Come after me. Yeah, we have a scandal on our hands. (laughs) Not really a reporter anymore, but breaking news. (laughs) There we go. John, this Orioles farm system has has gone through a lot of ups and downs since you've, you know, covered it in various forms or fashions. You go back to when they were in the stretch of winning more games than any other American League team from 2012 to 2016. Uh, They were a consistent contender, made three playoff appearances in that span. And the farm system was pretty down by the end of it, but that's to be expected. You build a contender, you graduate guys, you trade guys. Ultimately, uh, things ran out of steam in 2018. Uh, they really, really cratered and kicked off a rebuild at the trade deadline, trading Manny Machado. Uh, Mike Elias was hired after that season. Dan Duquette was fired. So this rebuild has been going on for really if you start it from you know the 2018 trade deadline, four and a half years now. And it looked like things were, were not really getting a whole lot better until last season. The Orioles jumped from 52 wins in 2021 to 83 wins in 2022. It's a 31-game swing. Um, for the first time in a long while, feels like there's some hope and some progress taking place in Camden Yards. When you look at this organization, where they are in the big leagues, the farm system as it stands right now, how do you kind of see things? Because it feels different for the first time, frankly, in, in half a decade. It, it does. And, and- if we had sat here, you know, I know, I know we did this around this time last year. And if we had done a hypothetical of like, how are the Orioles going to win 83 games this year? Um, it would have been a lot more graduations and a lot more prospect types than you would think. I mean, the conversation begins and ends with Adley Rushman uh, getting promoted in mid-May. And they basically were on like an 89 win pace from that point on. Like, It wasn't all that. The pitching improved a lot. But, but you know. In my mind, that a turnaround like this would have necessitated like a whole new top ten because they would have graduated like five, six guys, <laughs> and they really didn't. So you have this unique place that they're in now, where yeah, Gunnar Henderson got up there. They they kept him eligible by a handful of the bats as they're as they've gotten pretty good at doing with their top prospects over the last couple of years, uh, saving us reports uh, and keeping these guys in there, you know. But the farm system now is at a point where they have all these guys and you know was eight top 100 guys and all of them except for Jackson holiday ended in triple A or the big leagues last year. Like this isn't stuff that's far away. This isn't stuff to dream on. This is stuff that is going to be making a near term impact. And, and you can reasonably say 
you can feel pretty good about these players making some kind of impact period. I and mean, that's not really how Orioles prospects have gone in the past. It's been a little more touch and go. So when you, when you think about how close so many of these top prospects are, how successful their high picks have been um, under Mike Elias and what that has produced, you really have an organization that is, that is, I don't want to say like on a launch pad or ready for liftoff because there's been a lot of Orioles fans uh, who would probably get PTSD from hearing about that. But this is in a, they're in a really good spot right now. And I think that, that the players on this top 10 list are, are uniquely positioned as prospects to both make the future look good and the present. Yeah, you mentioned if we had mapped out a scenario where the Orioles win 83 games last year, it absolutely would have been a big part of a lot of guys getting promoted. But a big part of it would have been, okay, John Means has to stay healthy and pitch like an ace atop the rotation. Grayson Rodriguez has to graduate. To me, just hypothetically, there was no scenario where the Orioles would have had enough pitching to win 83 games if you didn't have John Means and Grayson Rodriguez didn't graduate. And they didn't have those guys for the most part last year. Means getting hurt, and they still won 83 games in part because their bullpen was lights out and locked down. So there's no question. I, I think they exceeded expectations in a number of ways, and now there's definitely a, a, a pretty fairly clear track for okay, this is how they can get now from 83 wins to 90 and potentially a playoff spot. Which yeah. again, at this time last year would have seemed a little rich to say the least, John. Before we dive into the nitty-gritty of this farm system, one of the things we've talked about a lot is the Orioles are kind of following the Astros and Cubs model here, which makes sense given Mike Elias's Astros pedigree, where you draft and develop the position players, and you're going to have to go out and spend for pitching later. And we've seen a really, really good group of position players come up and help the Orioles. Again, Adley Rutschman, but even Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, these are homegrown guys. Um, Cedric Mullins and you look at this farm system now the top 10 is still very very position player heavy in order to become a playoff team especially coming out of the AL East there's going to have to be some more pitching development now we saw a lot of pitchers exceed expectations last year are the arms in this system currently to become a playoff team or are they still going to have to go out and get some guys even with some of the performances we saw last year um I think that the top level of, of pitchers that, that you see carry teams in the postseason are not. I mean, but those guys, there are probably two handfuls of those guys on, you know, in the game period. And, and you, we could be talking about how Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall are those types of guys as they mature and as they, you know, get their man bodies and they throw 200 innings a year and get you into October. Like that stuff is all there. I think that. I think that if the answer to that question is yes, then it's in the the raise model um, where you have just a ton of guys who can be up and down and expensive churn, you know, get turn the lineup over one and a half times and get it on to the next guy who could turn it over one and a half times um, and kind of get it that way. Um, But I think that there is a significant, um, you know, there's a significant cost to getting those types of pitchers to get you over the top those, you know, Justin Verlanders. We saw a free agent pitchers went for this year. Um, and the Orioles just aren't willing, able, however you want to, to say it, to get to that point financially for these pitchers. So I think that, you know, I think that the fact that it's Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall in the top 10 and then no one else kind of A wouldn't be the case if the hitters weren't of the caliber that they were, but B kind of obscures the fact that they have kind of identified what kind of pitchers they want and how to develop those pitchers, you know, effectively and get them we're going to see in a year or two to the big leagues and have a success. So I think that there is, there is enough pitching to have a successful team um, to, to have a championship caliber team. You need that top, top level. And there's two of those guys potentially in the organization right now. And, and otherwise you're looking outside, whether it's trade free agency to, to get to that level. Yeah. You mentioned the Orioles will probably never be 40 million per year plus on top level free agent pitchers. But you think about, again, I use the Astros example. They acquired Justin Verlander in a trade. They acquired Garrett Cole in a trade. They acquired Zach Granke in a trade. It was through trades and, you know, looking at the depth of the system and how, because they have so many talented position players, they do have some redundancies. You're starting to see a scenario where, okay, you can get a group up and maybe use some of the other guys for trades, but it does seem like they're going to have to go outside the organization to get those top, top level guys. Again, maybe Grayson Rodriguez grows into one. And, and I think there's a lot of hope and expectation he will. Um, but it's not like this is a system that's just loaded with arms. No, no, it's it's, it's not in, in those calibers. And I, and I think you're right. I think my expectation, absolutely. If we had this conversation as we're 
as we're mapping this out in October, uh, what the Orioles offseason would look like. I would have assumed that one of those trades was already made right now. Um, you know, even as I was kind of pulling my hair out over this top 10 and the guys who got left out, we left out, you know, the second overall pick. We left out guys who are really, really impressive in their pro debuts. Um, you know, there were, there were 12, 13 candidates for this top 10, and I kind of justified leaving guys out to myself by saying by February, whoever I left out will be in the top 10 because they can't possibly go in through this off season with, you know, five top 100 infield prospects and be like, yeah, we're just going to let this ride. But, but that's kind of the approach they've taken. Um, I don't know if it's my view personally. I know it's a view, um, a perspective to say that these players, you know, have gotten better under the Orioles watch um, and that they believe in their coaching and the thinking internally is a little bit that like, Hey, we got these players this good. They're already worth this. Like what's to say they're not going to be worth more in August if we need to make a move then next off season when they have some big league time and, and people see what they could do. I think they're kind of, they're kind of betting on being able to do more with it, but the fact that they didn't do anything with them this off season kind of, kind of looms large as you look at this roster and, and what they could be going forward. Yeah, that's actually a good pivot point. You talk about how the Orioles have helped a lot of players get even better than they were expected to be. And, you know, one of the things that happened when Mike Elias came in is they really revamped the player development system. And I remember talking to a few scouts who had been with the Orioles um, under the previous regime and stayed on under Elias's regime. And they talked about just the light years of difference, just, you know, the practice routines, how engaged these guys were, what they're being taught. It was light years better. And, and we've started to see that kind of come to fruition in terms of production. And that leads us into Gunnar Henderson, not only the number one prospect in this Orioles system, but the number one prospect in all of baseball by our rankings here at Baseball America. And Carlos Colazzo, uh, our draft writer, had talked about this with us on the Top 100 Prospects uh, Roundtable podcast we did, where you know, Gunnar Henderson was considered a very, very good amateur prospect. He was the first overall pick in the second round. A couple people thought, you know, maybe back of the first round. But when you compare him to someone else like Bobby Witt Jr., who was in that same draft class, you know, there was light years of difference. No one would have put them in the same tier. Now we fast forward into pro ball. And, you know, when you look at what Bobby Witt Jr. was as a prospect and what Gunnar Henderson, you know, is now as a prospect – they seem comparable. You know, Gunnar Henderson has gotten significantly better in pro ball. Some of that's him and some of it's the player development apparatus. Where is he now? What does he project to be? We saw him get a cup of coffee, a taste of the big leagues last year. And how have the Orioles helped him get so much better? What have they tapped into? Yeah, I mean, I mean, to, to answer the first part, short, like in a, in a quick sense, I mean, you're looking at like a potential all-star and like maybe multiple all-stars just based on where he is in his career now. He debuted at age 21, the youngest player in the big leagues, um, and is going to be among the youngest this year. I mean, he can do a little bit of everything really well. Um, he can run a little bit better than you think for, for, for a bigger kid. He could play shortstop. He might not get the opportunity with the Orioles, um, but he'll be, a, he'll be an above average third baseman, no question about it. Um, and at the plate, you have somebody who, whether you're talking about his minor league um, production, his underlying minor league numbers, his big league underlying numbers, like there are markers of really, really, really um, special things. And that's just as a 21 year old, you know, and I think what the Orioles have learned over these past few years is that this is a player who can get better and does get better. Um, you, when you ask about, you know, when you ask about how he got to this point um, and all the things that he did and the Orioles did to get here, um, I think back, you know, just to the 2020 alt site, he was 19 years old. He was there and he really had no business being there other than the fact that there was, you know, he, he had played in the complex league and he would have been in Delmarva uh, low A in 2020 and had probably like a full season of like low A that was who knows, who knows. But instead he just went to their alternate site and got eaten up, like absolutely carved up. But the Orioles at that time had guys who would have been in triple A or the big leagues pitching in that and Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall and, and Gunnar Henderson was underwater and then he figured it out. He got it, you know, he pulled himself up and he, and he got to the point where he was competing against those types and that carried him well into 2021. Um, there's part of me that wonders if, if I and the world had kind of the sense that he spent most of 2021 in their, at their high 18 team in Aberdeen. And that's kind of a tough place to hit, uh, especially for lefties. It's turned out there's some weird stuff going on with the batter's eye and, Huge, you know, huge alleys, you know, stuff that hitters who don't hit well 
in a certain place to talk about when, yeah. but, but he spent a lot of time there and it was kind of like, Oh, what's going on? You know, he got here quick. He spent a lot of the time there, but you realize what he was learning at that point um, about himself and about his developmental needs. And the Orioles saw a player this past off season who addressed them in a way that allowed all this to happen. He would get eaten up on high fastballs. Um, he flattened his swing path out a little bit so that those weren't an issue anymore. He took, tremendous strides in his pitch recognition um his plate disciplines type stuff i feel like it was like into may where he had more walks and strikeouts this year at buoy just like crazy crazy stuff um and they've they have not thrown anything at him he has not been challenged with anything by the orioles by professional baseball by by anything that has not resulted in him you know learning from it overcoming it and getting better and i don't think anybody expects like a seamless like now this guy's in the big leagues and he's just going to be good forever. Like, but there will be periods where he pitchers get him, but he will learn from it. And I think that's where, that's where the separation between a good prospect or, or like a top level prospect with talent and like a guy who can be special comes in. Like the special players are the ones who, who have that built into them and the Orioles and Gunnar Henderson himself have kind of built an infrastructure of that in him. That is going to really benefit both going forward. Yeah, I mean, we talk about makeup all the time and why it's important. I think anyone who's played at any level has played with guys who are super talented but couldn't make adjustments or didn't put in the work or all these things that really shortchanged their careers. And, you know, Gunnar Henderson, what's been really consistent about him really from the outset is, hey, this guy's top, top level makeup. What does that mean? Like you talked about willing to make adjustments, take coaching, you know, implement the uh, the changes he needs to make and, you know, do so rather quickly. And, and I think what's really stood out about the reports about him from the get-go are this guy's always playing hard. He's always focused. He's always engaged. He doesn't give away at bats. And again, he's absorbing all the information, taking, you know, what he's learning from facing better competition and making the adjustments. And, and you see it all the time with these guys, the ability to make those adjustments, as you said, could be a big separator. And, and that's one of the things about Gunnar Henderson that I think really stands out and, and is such a testament to him is that, you know, as he's, you know, he's, he's always had a lot of physical ability, but it's the mental side that's allowed him to really unlock this new level and, and become one of the premium prospects in baseball. And you even saw it last year when he came up at the end of the year, how composed he was at no point in his at-bats did he look overwhelmed at no point did he look completely overmatched now the numbers don't jump off the page by any means but you know he's a young guy who is going to you know go up there and have some adjustments he has to make but there's a lot of confidence he'll make them and you just see the presence and, and the ability you know you don't have to put your neck out too far to say yeah this guy's going to be a pretty good player it's, it's pretty apparent that it's all there yeah yeah and, and you it comes from within, you know, we wouldn't talk about makeup, you know, people can handle themselves how they want to. He, he's never handled himself poorly. Um, but, but it comes, it comes from within, you know, this is a player who you know, had one professional, a full professional season under his belt and, and thought he should have been invited to big league camp this year and was a little, you know, use it as motivation that he wasn't. And then he was in big league, the big league, like the actual big leagues five months later, um, you know, this type of stuff, you know, this type of stuff, is the type of development, you know, progression um, that that can meaningfully change the trajectory of organizations. And you talk about this draft with Adley Rushman at the top, him, um, Kyle Stowers, and Joey Ortiz, who you mentioned. Like, if if you are going to do what the Orioles did, you need to do – you need to get a little lucky. You know, I'm not saying that this was luck. Uh, I don't think they thought Gunnar Henderson was going to be there at this pick to begin with, but, but they had the work done on him. They were ready, and – you know, it, it worked, but you have to get a little lucky and you have to have these team things click the way that the way that they have. And with Gunnar Henderson and the Orioles from the jump, this has been a this has been a perfect pairing of player and, and, and player development apparatus. And, and this is kind of the player that we're ending up with. John, we talked about the Orioles having this really good position player group. Again, a group of guys in the majors, Gunnar Henderson being the best of the prospect group. Um, but how important it is for them to get the most from the limited arms they have. And, and you mentioned Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall. I want to jump into Grayson Rodriguez here, number two prospect in the system. Uh, continued to pitch very, very well at AAA, but did miss a, a good bit of time with a lat strain. Where is he right now? How did he look when he came back? And, and realistically, what's the timeline for him to break into the Orioles rotation in 2023? 
Um, so, so, so I saw Grayson Rodriguez, you know, on his rehab tour a couple of times after he came back, he looked like Grayson Rodriguez, honestly. I mean, this is somebody who, who probably should have been in the big leagues, you know, at the time that he got hurt and definitely was going to be pretty soon, soon thereafter. But, but it was one of those weird things, you know, as I'm talking to people, even inside the organization, you know, inside, outside, as we're making the calls for this list, it's like, what, what, what's going like, what do we, what do we got on Grayson? Like Grayson's Grayson, like what happened happened, but like he was still the same player. Um, you know, we're talking about like an absolute horse with four, now five pitches. Now that he got his cutter more uh, in, in the mix this year and, you know, big time velocity, big time, you know, swing and miss on his slider, um, a good change up, you know, there's all the markers of the, that kind of like top level starter are there. Unfortunately, it was just delayed by a half a season. I mean, the Orioles probably, I don't know. I was going to say the Orioles probably make the playoffs if, if he doesn't get hurt and he's in the big leagues um, from, from the point he got hurt on. It wasn't really the rotation that did that, so it might not be the right thing to say. But, like, I don't think there's any doubt that he, just because he got hurt, that he will not come back and be the person that he was. He felt good when he came back physically. You know, he wasn't, like, super sharp, but who's going to be sharp after, like, a couple months on the shelf? Uh, um, and knowing that you're kind of rehabbing for the sake of rehabbing, I don't think there was any expectation even if he would have wanted to, that he was going to get to the big leagues um, in September, even though they had to add him in the fall. But, but it's really just a, you know, it's a prototypical, you know, big right-handed starter. And those don't necessarily come from like prep righties in the first round of the draft. And, you're ta- and, and, and that's where the Orioles got it. So I, I think in terms of timeline this year, Mike Elias has been pretty clear that he can be competing for a rotation spot out of spring training. I, I think that can happen um, given how, you know, the ball pops up in the air and ends up on the other side of the fence in Florida spring training games and all the different weird stuff that could keep him from doing that. Like I would venture to say that it might not be immediate, um, especially given what the Orioles could gain from having him debut in May uh, versus April. But I think it's going to be soon. And I think that I think there's going to be, they're going to be meaningfully better by having him in the rotation. Yeah, I mean, he's been a standout every time he's been on the mound as a professional. And and again, it's a lat strain. It's not an uncommon injury. Players get hurt. Pitchers get hurt. It's sports. Injuries happen. Um, certainly a, a tremendous prospect and one of the best in all of baseball. Again, we had him as uh, our second best pitching prospect in the game, right behind number one, Andrew Painter. And again, you're talking about two premium prospects to add on to a big league team that now includes Adley Rutschman, who is uh, one of the best young talents in the game and, and should have a great career ahead of him as long as he stays healthy. John, Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall have kind of been paired together. D.L. Hall being a first-rounder in 2017, Grayson Rodriguez first-rounder in 2018. Two pitchers, uh, they, they've been talked about in tandem a lot. You know, D.L. Hall did get to the majors last year for his debut. Um, you look at it, the control was still not great. Um, the ERA was was okay not great as well he still didn't get to 100 innings um comes up last year and gives up you know more than a hit per inning in his debut i I feel like we keep hearing the question is he a starter reliever everything is pointing to reliever everything's been pointing to reliever for three years um but based on your most recent reporting what is the outlook for him now and and maybe what's the split 50 50 60 40 80 20 what's the outlook for deal hall at this point yeah, I mean, I am going to always be on the side of DL Hall can start. Um, it's I don't know if we're going to talk about if, if we're calling it stubbornness or just not like seeing what's in front of me. Um, we can't call it that. I will. I, I'm calling it that myself. So I just think that I just think that the stuff is so so good and like the athleticism is there. You're not talking about some some stiff who can't figure out how his body moves. Um, and can't figure out where it's going. Um, I also think that a lot of the issues that there, that existed in 2020 were for consistent, like on a consistency basis, you know, in, in Norfolk, he would have stretches where he gave up, like, you know, he sub one, everything. So one ERA, sub one whip striking out guys like crazy. And then, you know, there was a two start stretch where he was clearly tipping his pitches and, you know, he had a two start week against a team that knew what he was throwing and they just pummeled him and he comes back again and he's good again. Um, I think if you split up, you know, his first few big league outings and then see what he did down the stretch, you're going to see a lot of different things. It's a, it's a consistency issue, but I know you guys put out like the best stuff, you know, the best pitches stuff. He was on the best fastball list. 
Um, he was on the best slider list. Um, yep. It's not, it wasn't a consistent look, but the things I was hearing internally about his change, like from the Orioles and about his changeup towards the end of his time in the big leagues um, were that caliber. I don't know if he'd be on the changeup list. I don't know. Uh, I look forward to reading it, but, but, but you're talking about someone who has, you know, the, the type of talent that, you have you have to bet on now if he didn't get hurt in 2021 if he had made more than seven starts in Bowie before he got hurt um you probably get some starts in the big leagues to have him figure that out if he was on a bit more accelerated schedule last year um he might have more time to figure it out now all of a sudden you're a team that's trying to make the playoffs and and what is the appetite what is the willingness to let dl hall figure out how to best command consistently his stuff for six, seven innings at a time at the big league level when you need to win every night. Um, and if you have players who can maybe not have the dynamic stuff that he has, who can be in the rotation otherwise, and you can just let the hall be in the bullpen, maybe that's something you do. Um, so that's a long way to answer your question. I'm going to say like 60, 40 starter. Um, I still think that, I still think that there is, enough there to to bet on and to to believe in and not give up on but i think that he and to an extent grayson rodriguez to have the orioles pitching prospect hoodoo like attached to them uh when we're talking about hunter harvey and dylan bunny and all these guys who who took forever to pan out and 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 then weren't what they were supposed to be um i don't think that's i don't think that's in play anymore i think dl hall is going to be So I think the thing with D.L. Hall, there's no question the stuff. It is electric. You see it, you're like, wow. And and again, that includes his chance. I've seen it. It's a when it's on, it's a great pitch. No one's ever questioned the stuff, but again, this is the same conversation we've been having for years and years. It's great stuff. (laughs) He's a great athlete, but it's never gotten better. His walk rate last year actually was worse than a year ago. It was over five. His career walk rate in the minors is five. I mean, you know, we keep talking about, oh, it's great stuff. He's a great athlete. He'll figure it out. But it just, it never happens. Um, you know, talk about staying on the mound. He's, he still has not gotten to 100 innings. So I think it's more a case of no one has ever questioned the stuff. Lord knows that. And and you yeah. watch him and it's so easy to get excited. But, you know, as we've talked about, we keep waiting for certain things to happen and they just keep not happening. So at a certain point, is it not better served for him to become maybe, maybe he could be a Josh Hader. Maybe he could be an Andrew Miller. Maybe he could be a Zach Britton, you know, dynamic weapon from the left side. And if he's that no one should or would ever consider those guys failures in the big leagues. Those have been impact pitchers just in a different role. It does seem like at this point, that's more realistic given the walks have never come down. The innings have never accumulated despite we keep thinking they will keep waiting for it to. Yeah, and, and I think that, I think that that's you know the way that the grading scale and the system that, that we that we do these rankings on you know, it's truthfully like not something I've I've made myself think about a lot because the caliber of reliever he would be puts him in the same grade range you know scale like as as you know what he could be as a as a maybe inconsistent but like electric stuff starter you know so 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 I've never like I've never like kind of forced myself I, I think that it's a those are fair. Those are, those are perfectly reasonable outcomes. Um, they might even be likely depending on team need and, and what the Oriole, what the Orioles see in him. And honestly, um, I would, I, I, I would be fascinated to know. I, I haven't really gotten the sense that a lot of outside teams like view him as, as a starter. The people I talk to are always kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of the same stuff you're talking about. So, so, so you wonder at this point, whether, the most value for the Orioles for him going forward and for possible, you know, using him as a piece to get a starter is to have him just be like a dynamic reliever. But, but, but it's, it's, those are fine options to be, to be those guys. Um, he might yes. end up being that <laughs> sooner than later. And, and, and I think that, and I think that like, and I think that the reason that I kind of buck at it is for the purposes of doing these rankings is that like, yeah, you know, like an elite reliever and like a number, like I don't have it in front of me, but like they're pretty much in the same tier and like the stuff is going to be, get him to one of those things. And, and I just kind of land on the starter side, but I love having the debate. I love having the conversation because it's, it's like a reasonable thing to have. You can't see him and be like, eh, I don't know. You like, you, you, you see it and you're like, oh yeah. And then you're like, it still hasn't happened. So it needs to happen. And I think that's a reasonable camp to be in that. Like if this hasn't happened yet, is it going to happen? 
All right, John, there's a lot more to talk about with this system. It's one of the best in baseball. There's a lot of talent. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and dive into the rest of the guys. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to another Baseball America Team Top 10 Prospects podcast. We're here breaking down the Baltimore Orioles farm system. To do that, I'm joined by John Mioli. All right, John, we talked about the top of the system, Gunnar Henderson, Grayson Rodriguez, and also D.L. Hall, just given how much the Orioles need their pitchers to really hit for them, given just the way their team and their system are kind of balanced out. Um, But as you move beyond that group, again, we've talked about it a bunch. There's a lot of really, really, really talented position player prospects in the system. We do have to start with the number one overall pick in the 2022 draft, Jackson Holiday. Um, I had reported a few months in advance that the Orioles were getting increasingly tied to him. Uh, Michael Elias was spending a lot of time on him. And you know, we heard rumors down the stretch of, you know, Termar Johnson or, or just any sort, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, we at Baseball America stuck with it as Jackson Holiday is number one in our mock drafts. Just we kept getting, you know, the Orioles internally were very quiet about it. But um, around the game, it seemed pretty clear that that holiday was their guy they had locked in on him and i thought it was important too was you know they drafted him and and mike elias talked about this after the pick that they truly believed he was the best player in this draft they didn't try and play any slot games or find an underslot option the things you don't ever want to do with a number one overall pick um they drafted the player they thought was the best player in the draft class and paid him as such um with that jackson holiday went out very very small sample of pro debut but showed enough in a short time that uh, opposing teams definitely took notice. And as we were sending out our top 100, just for general industry feedback, he was the most common move up guy. We already had him pretty highly, but people think this has a chance to be a really, really special player. Uh, just internally, what were the internal uh, initial reviews of Jackson Holiday, the first impressions, and what are we going to watch for here as he moves into the, his first full season in 2023? 
Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that I think that what the Orioles kind of look for with these top picks, and you've seen it, you know, over the last couple of years. Adley Rutschman, notwithstanding, he was the best player, you know, from long before his draft season. But they really put a lot of stock into guys who you can see have made improvements like recently. They don't want the best player from the summer before. They want the best player at that particular moment. And Jackson Holiday, everyone kind of everyone on the amateur side knew that he had really good, you know plate discipline, back to bat the ball skills, those types of things that you can develop, you know, in a lifetime around baseball with a dad who's, you know, a, a dad like Matt Holiday and those types of things. And and they saw a player who got, you know, who got a lot stronger and started impacting the baseball. And all of a sudden you take talk about you end up with someone who is at this, you know, stage where in the conversation for one one. So I agree. I think they picked the player they thought was the best player in the draft. Um and they saw a lot of things they liked. Um the play discipline was even better than people would have expected um, for somebody who was not facing, you know, had not really faced that level of pitching before once he got the pro ball. Um, they loved what he was able to do at shortstop. They think that, you know, that the power and the, the, the ability to impact the baseball will grow as he grows physically. Um, you know, honestly, on draft night, I thought that they were basically like doubling down on a, on a, you know, let's see if we can do Gunner again type thing. And like, that is what, you know, and they kind of said as much, you know, as they were talking about the way that he developed in a draft year and kind of came onto the radar and, and had all those markers of players who improve and have the ability to continue to improve. Um, so when you talk about what his first year is going to be like, um, I kind of got, I kind of got chastised towards the end of last season as I was thinking about like, all right, he's in, Aber- he's in low A now, like he'll start in Aberdeen. They're like, he's like, still a child like he, he's gonna spend time in low a you know this is we don't move everybody super super quickly but the reality is they do um jackson holiday will not spend this entire year in low a if he's if he's really really if he's productive and he's showed that he's not challenged by the level um so i think that he's going to he has a chance to spend you know a bulk of next year in, in high a at age i think he'll be i think he'll be 19 he might have already turned 19 uh so it'll be his age 19 season I think he'll be able to hold his own based on how he controls the strike zone. Um, I think he will benefit from some of the Orioles uh, high velocity drill work, some of the stuff in pitch recognition that they do to, to help players combat spin. I think he got a good sense, you know, it wasn't like what he was doing with his dad in the gym, Um, you know, as they were, as he was in, as he was doing school from home uh, in, in Stillwater as a senior year, you know, the Orioles hitting program is not Matt Holiday's hitting program, but, he got his hands around it. He got exposed to it. He liked it. Uh, he saw the benefits to it. Um, I was actually down by the cage one day. It was raining, so we were all taking cover. But, you know, you could see he was, like, getting frustrated by some of these drills. That, you know, he wasn't squaring the ball up every time, It, but he knew the benefit of it. He knew that he was growing from it. He knew that there was a reason why they were doing this. And that exposure is so important. The Orioles getting those players challenged in their first, you know, right after the draft to prepare them for what full season ball is going to be like. So I think they found um, I think they found that was helpful for last year's draft class, and it's going to be really helpful for Jackson Holiday. You're seeing someone who has all the physical tools and is in the system that is going to let those those come out. So I, I expect a really productive you know full season debut from him, and I don't think anybody who's who's putting him on the short list of potential you know number one overall prospects this year. I don't think any of those people are wrong. I think it's I think it's pretty pretty clear to see a path to that happening. Yeah, especially the upward trend he's on. You mentioned it. He just kept getting better and better and better throughout his senior year. You saw the ability, the physicality. And again, this is a guy who just seems like he's on the upward trend at the right time. And the Orioles identified that. And, you know, he's he's got a lot of promise ahead of him. We'll see what he's able to do over a full season. But if he can replicate the type of, uh, you know, gains he made last year over to this next year, it should be a really productive season. Um, John, there's a group of college draftee position players here. We talk about Gunnar Henderson, we talk about Jackson Holiday, and even Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall. Those are all high school picks. Um, there's a really interesting group of, of college draftee position players here. You look at Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, Connor Norby, and you can now throw Joey Ortiz into this mix a little bit. What do they have with this group? And you've talked about some of the redundancies. Not everyone's going to have a spot. Who are the guys that are, are really the priorities in terms of Hey, we think this guy can be a stud versus maybe who are some of the guys that we could see moved in a trade. Uh, um, so, so I think that I think that you probably put Kowser on on the keep list. Um, you know, this is somebody who went three levels up to AAA in his in his full season debut. Um, 
really, really productive. I think there's probably there might be a little more swing and miss uh, built in than someone that than they expected, given his, uh, you know, his track record in college. But he's at a like, kind of a career crossroads right now. You know, you talk to people inside, outside. You know, you know, there's a productive hitter. Um, you know, there's a productive hitter there, and it's really fascinating. Like the two directions that could go. He could be like a table setter who gets on base, like you know at an incredibly high level, elite level, and, and sets things up. Or he could be a guy who, who, who focuses on power and, you know, hits 30-some bumps. You know, and he has the physical capabilities and the ability to do both those things. Um, and it's going to be really fascinating this year to see kind of what he settled into. He's a, he's a feel hitter. He's not somebody who, who took incredibly well early on to what the Orioles were trying to do and challenging and, and focusing on, you know, certain areas. Like, he's a seaball, hitball guy, and, and towards the end of the season, he got to that. But he's got a lot, a lot of potential, and outfield is not an area where they have a lot of, um, where they have a tremendous amount of depth. So I think it's going to be really important for them to, to get him as developed, as quickly as possible, so that he can get to the big leagues and, and make that happen. Um, I also think you know Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz for the, for their ability to play shortstop are, are you know you use the word priority. I think those are really going to be areas where the Orioles. Are, are focused. I think that, you know, Jorge Mateo is a fantastic defensive shortstop. I don't know if he's a long-term defense, like big league solution. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, or sorry, Gunnar Henderson, Jackson Holiday have the ability to play shortstop. Um, they can do it. Um, but I think you want as many of those up the middle defenders as you can. And with Joey Ortiz and, and Jordan Westberg, you have players who had significant power surges. Um, you know, Ortiz basically had like a he was like underwater for the first half of the season, moved his hand placement and he basically had like a thousand OPS the rest of the year in, in the high minors. It just doesn't happen, but, but there were material, you know, changes behind those. And you kind of look at when somebody has something like that, you know, Jordan Westberg got really, really pull conscious and wanted to, and wanted to, you know, focus on balls he could pull and drive. And he did. And Joey Ortiz moved his hand placement so he can get the ball in the air more. And he did, and he improved. Like those are those are real things. Both those guys and Connor Norby uh, have the have the distinction of being right-handed hitters. Um, and Camden Yards is not a very friendly place to guys who want to pull the ball to left field anymore, given what they did with their uh, ballpark conventions last year. I think that's a little bit of a factor, but but there's value in having all these players regardless because teams want players who can help them now if they're going to make trades. And these players are all in AAA. Um, they're all going to probably be in the big leagues at any point uh, this year. I think it's going to be, uh, it, it, this is going to be kind of a a pivotal group for them because they're going to get contributions from them. They're going to be able to trade them. They can, if they want to be, you know, if they want to be, you know, better than they were last year, this year, this group is going to have to play a part in it. Yeah, Joey Ortiz is is one of the more remarkable stories to me when we talk about the Orioles helping guys get better. I remember talking to West Coast cross-checkers about him when he was at New Mexico State and it was, hey, this guy's a really, really good defender, the type of guy who you could see, you know, getting to the big leagues solely on his glove as a utility infielder. Um, but that but that was his game. You know, it was a light bat and, and not something something where you ever projected him to really be. You know, significant contributor offensively. He put up big numbers, but it was mid-major at New Mexico State where the ball flies. You know, and he came out, and that's kind of what he was a little bit. He showed a, a little bit of power during a short season in 2021, but again, at no point did he look like a guy who'd be an impact type of hitter. And, and as you mentioned, the first half of this year, he lived up to that. Great glove, but the bat was not there. And then from July on, I mean, he was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues, period. Hit 352, 416, 610, 15 homers, 56 RBIs, uh, nearly as many walks as strikeouts. It was just this completely unforeseen surge from a guy that, that I mean, I think even the Orioles will tell you they're probably a little surprised by just how impressive it was. How sustainable is it? How real is it? Because you look at some of the data – you know, he's not really hitting the ball all that hard. It's still around you know, 86 miles an hour average exit velocity, which is kind of more the cusp of, okay, this will play, this will won't, this won't in the majors, but he's at the very least trending in the right direction. So, so the question I have is how sustainable is this? How real is this? And, and what do the Orioles have here? I, I, when something like what Joey Ortiz did in 2022 happens, I think you, like I was kind of mentioning, you look at what he 
expected to bring that about. You know, he was not impacting the baseball whatsoever. He was hitting hard, but he was hitting it on the ground. And, you know, a half season of hitting balls on the ground in double A, he said it to, to me himself. You realize that if you hit it on the ground, it's going to be an out. You know, guys can pick it. Guys can go out there and make these kind of plays, especially with how advanced positioning is on the infield these days. So they made a change in, in how he was kind of holding his hands in his setup to get him, you know, a little more loft through the strike zone. Um, and, and allow him to elevate the ball, and you saw what happened. You were reading off his stats, and it's 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 honestly crazy. Um, I was at a game where he hit two grand slams, <laughs> like <laughs> like he, he's he and like, and you know people on the teams like on his teammates and his friends would be like, "Do you realize how bad you were hitting before you started being like the best hitter any of us has ever seen?" But but it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't just like oh like you know. XYZ aligned by accident. You know, this was something the Orioles, uh, the hitting coach in Bowie, Brandon Becker, and and their hitting coordinators kind of brought to him and said, hey, look, man, like, you have all the areas of, you know, you can do all the things that you need to do. Um, you have great plate discipline. You hit the ball hard, but you're hitting on the ground, and it's not going to, you're not going to make the big leagues. You're not going to be the kind of guy you want to be if you don't do that. So he started hitting the ball in the air. I was actually told, too, that his plate discipline got even better as he got to AAA when the umpires improved because he wasn't as worried about being punched out on a ball that was six inches off the plate. So he, he got even better at those swing decisions and, and that type of stuff. So when you're, th- you know, it's kind of crazy that he's a top 100 prospect now when in October it was like, oh, he probably hit well enough to get added to the 40. Well, it's like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, you know, it, it's so, so – I, I think that is real. Now, is he going to be a, a, a meaningful, you know, power hitter in the big leagues? Um, that's hard to say, but he's going to hit enough to be in the big leagues, you know, this, and that was never the case. You know, you could say that he could hit even when, through those couple of years where he didn't hit. But like the reality is this guy was not a major league caliber hitter until he did this. And now it, he is. And I think that's pretty um, I think that's meaningful. And I think that can stick. Brandon Becker, that's a throwback. Uh to date myself yeah. here i covered him in high school he's at cajon high school my old job i covered him when he was a player and got drafted by the orioles and you know and now he's coaching for him so uh yeah no it's a, that's a throwback fantastic game. coach too yeah yeah no good kid and, and fantastic it's cool to see. yeah it's it's cool to see him doing that john one final question before we wrap up here heston kirstad was not in the top 10 um What's the latest on him? We saw him go out, win MVP of the Fall League. Now the pitching in the Fall League was really, really bad. So you, you have to take a lot of that offensive performance with a grain of salt. That's true for everyone in the Fall League. Um, but, you know, he got on the field, played well. It was good to see. What's the latest on him and, and what's the outlook moving forward? Um, I think it was that was kind of the baseline. Like just to get him back on the field and playing and healthy and getting those everyday reps was – was the win it was the you know it was the top line developmental goal um and now you can get to the like the actual like on you know on the field everyday developmental goals and and i think that you know we mentioned earlier talking about gunner henderson like it's really tough to hit in Aberdeen, especially if you're a lefty so you take some of this with a grain of salt what he did this year but he also he like he didn't play for a while all this stuff is baked in but but there seemed to be a golf in in you know rightfully so the developmental time that he needed to give to developing an approach and doing all the plate discipline uh, you know swing decision stuff the Orioles like um, it, there was a little bit of a developmental I guess deficiency if you want to call it in and you know the quality of contact um, still hits the ball pretty hard but but you need to maximize that by swinging at the right pitches and, and all this stuff. He didn't play a ton of outfield towards the end of the season. You know, Aberdeen was in the playoffs and playoff race. I think it might've just been, you know, they wanted to put guys who were hadn't, you know, had so much time off and were a little more physically equipped out there. They said it wasn't any big deal, but like, you notice it. Um, and, and the reality was that as he was missing all the time that he missed players um, who were on the field and had the reps and had the opportunity to develop um, did. And it was really challenging thought to not have him be in the top 10. Like I said, I kind of justified it to myself that, you know, two or three of the guys in the top 10 would get traded and he would be, and I would, you know, there would be no blood on my hands, but that didn't happen. Um, but, but I think that, I think that the upside is still there. Um, but you're also talking about 
you're also talking about a player with a more, I think, significant downside than, than some of the players who are ranked above him. Like, the Orioles took him because he was just going to be a lefty masher who hit in the middle of their lineup, and, and that was going to be his value. Um, it's not like he was going to play premier outfield defense or, or you know, get on base. or Like, he was just going to mash, and he can still do that. You know, he still hits the ball hard. It's just you need to have consistent reps against high-level pitching and be challenged and develop in the way that the Orioles develop so many of these other guys to get to that point. And he, um, through no fault of his own, is is a little behind the curve in that. Now, to the same extent, Aberdeen is a tough place to hit. Double-A Bowie is not. If he goes to Bowie in 2023 and has 15 home runs in, by, you know, midseason and gets promoted, like, I'm not going to be surprised. I would even bet on that happening if you made me bet yes or no right now. But but in, in terms of what they are, like what he is right now in relation to some of the players around him on this list, it was just, you know, he, he was left on, on the outside and, and those reasons played a big part in it. Absolutely. All right, John. Well, as a, uh, an exhaustive uh, podcast on the Orioles system. Again, it's a really, really good system. Uh, eight top 100 prospects and a lot of good players below that. We appreciate your insight and joining us as always. And uh, we look forward to having this conversation next year where, hey, who knows? Maybe the Orioles will uh, have gotten to that 90-win threshold and made the postseason and all will have worked out just fine. Yeah, it, it's possible. It is possible. And that's not something we would have said last winter. No, definitely not. So, well, that'll do it for another uh, Baseball America podcast. Thank you for listening. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For John Mioli, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.